got a track, Prince there in 1999. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. While the Bidigo Pride Festival is underway today, kicks off tonight. On the line, we have the festival director, John Richards. John, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. It's so exciting, the festival. Tell us all about it. You've got a great lineup. It goes until, um, God, April 2nd. Yeah, it was three weekends. And we basically try and uh, we kind of look to chill out. I mean, chill out's amazing and is the biggest, you know, most successful regional festival. So what's the opposite of chill out? Like, you know, what could we do that makes sense to exist near chill out? So we focus more on arts and cultural theatre shows. And, you know, we start parties. We have a carnival day. But my whole approach is to try and focus on uh, local history. Um, we look at a lot of sort of Bendigo-specific things. We want you to feel like you've been to Bendigo when you come to our festival. And also generally just kind of some cool, weird art stuff. Look, I love the local queer history stuff. You've got a Bendigo queer history walk. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing is that um, we have stories here from the 1880s. Like Edward de Lacey Evans is the famous one. He's a trans man living in Bendigo um, who was outed and became an international story because people could not understand what was going on, like their concept of gender was so rigid that they could not even understand who Edward was. Uh, and from that, we kind of went, well, what's these other stories? And so you've got like you know, Agnes Goodsir, was one of these artists in the 20s. Um, and interestingly, we, we had this real gap in the late 20th century, but we have all these really interesting stories before that that we know of. So we always do a history exhibition in the library of local Bendigo queer history, and uh, that's now developed into a walk as well, where historian Wayne Murdoch will take people around and point out places of interest and you know connection to the queer community. And one of the great things about this is it's a way of showing that we've always been here. You know, this isn't a new thing. Like we're not, you know, it wasn't Stonewall happened and suddenly gays existed. Yeah, you know, we're trying to show that we've always been part of Australia. We've always been part of regional Australia. Um, we got a mural uh, created last year for Edward Dorsey Evans, and uh, I was told by a local trans man that it made him feel now he had this connection to place, you know, because he's not the only trans man in the village. Like, he's got ancestors. So that's yeah. one of the big things we, we, we try to look at is to explore history, to connect people. Yeah, tell us more about Edward Dorsey Evans. It's a fascinating story, and you've got that amazing mural. It really is amazing. I mean, that was the thing. He lived his life, like, you know, his... He arrived on a boat from Ireland, was still travelling at that point as a woman, but did have a trunk with Edward Lacey Evans written on it. Um, had then, you know, lived his life as a man, did various, you know, quite hard, outdoorsy kind of jobs, and actually worked as a miner for, for quite a while. And, yeah, it was a medical sort of mishap. They had to, basically, he was, he was yeah, out, and he was forced to take a bath. It was revealed he was assigned female at birth. But the amazing thing was the sort of sheer shock value of it, enough to, like, American newspapers at the time reported this story. The other weird thing with the story is that everyone got these pronouns right because they kept saying, we can't refer to this person as a woman because the story will get too confusing. So they referred to him as him. And it was a, a kind of amazing thing where people just could not get their heads around, like, was it a con? Was it some sort of weird joke? You know, and... They could, and he couldn't go back to his old job. He toured around Australia for a little while telling his story, but it, it, it gets a bit grim towards the end. So one of the things we were hoping to do with this was to kind of give Edward a happy ending he didn't get in life. So the mural is by a local artist uh, in a slightly Warholian style. So it's a big cartoony celebration of Edward. 
and every year during the festival we have a toast, we drink a toast to him, saying that he lived his best life at a time when that was virtually impossible, so what excuse do we have? And then one of the things that I think is really amazing was that the Bendigo Advertiser, actually after the Bureau went up, issued a formal apology in their pages for how they'd reported on his story and said they had ruined a man's life and, and there was no reason for it. So they gave him a, a, an apology. Beautiful piece of Bendigo's history there. And you mentioned our mines. Of course, Bendigo is a gold mining town. Tell us about your pride of the mine tour. We, we, yes, we have a mine tour. I was thinking, I don't know how many, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a, a pride festival somewhere has a mine tour, but you know, I'm going to tell you the only one. Uh, so we actually have our official icon. Her name is Deborah Triangle, which is a hilarious pun if you live in Bendigo. It means nothing anywhere else, and that's how we like it. And Deborah is a drag queen who uh, sleeps 11 months of the year below the city, rising up to invite everybody to come to Bendigo. And then the last event we always do is the last drink strand where we drive her back to the mine. She sings a song and we wave goodbye. But during the festival, there is a mine tour and she goes on the tour. So there's a, you know, there's one of the, the actual Bendigo Heritage Attractions tour guides. But there is also a seven foot drag queen with you. And it just adds that element of danger and risk that I think we all need in our lives. Absolutely. And the mines must have been quite queer, all those, you know, male-identifying miners. Oh, absolutely. There's, um, there's, there's so many stories about, I mean, uh, even, you know, there was a huge Chinese in, in flux. Um, but, yeah, so many men and so few women on the mines. Obviously, things were going to happen. One of the events we're doing this year is a pop-up pride museum, the pop-up National Pride Museum of Australia, uh, and we've got an amazing wall of mugshots of all these guys that were arrested for doing beats, you know, from the 1890s through to the 1940s, and some of their stories. And it's just fascinating to look at them. And, you know, there's, there's some of the Chinese gold workers. There's all these people represented, um, obviously photographed on the worst day of their lives. But there is distinctly, uh, yeah, a history. And that's the weird thing for us is trying to find that history because so much of it is a hidden history. You know, so trying to find those stories of the, you know, the uncle or the, the, you know, the diary that's written with no pronouns, that sort of thing. We're trying to just find all those stories. And, and every year we find a bit more and we can celebrate them. Wow. Tell us about one of those stories that you uncovered where you went, oh, hang on. Well, the really interesting thing is sometimes there is, there is and now I can't name them, there's a person who, she was clearly a lesbian, you know, like very prominent in, in the bigger region. Um, and that weird thing where clearly all the signposts are there, but because there's no written evidence or documentation, because of course there wasn't, people protected themselves by not writing these things down and destroying them. Uh, you know, you have that interesting thing of, of going, well, she's obviously one of ours, but, you know, historians generally warn that you claim her you know, in a way that, that the assumption of heterosexuality on all these things is so strong that, you know, everyone is heterosexual until proved otherwise. Um, we, we also know about an amazing diary that um, we're hoping to get hold of soon, but we're waiting for certain family members to pass away so that it won't shock anybody. So it's, only, it's, it's weird that a lot of this history was hidden or destroyed. And so, yeah, we're kind of trying to track it all down. It is fascinating how it was hidden and destroyed, and I think that's something that's kind of like the the history of queerness in Australia from from yeah. much of the twentieth century. But you've unearthed lots of stuff from the nineteenth century, the early twentieth century. I was fascinated, John, by what you said before. There's a gap from the later twentieth century. What do you think that was about? 
Well, the interesting thing is, so yeah, we work with, with Wayne uh, Murdoch a lot, who's a historian, and he has a theory that it becomes visible after World War II. Like, people start to notice, you know, homosexuality. Like, before then, they can, they can either ignore, uh, not know about it or they can pretend they not know about it. But there becomes a point in which it becomes noticeable, and at that point, people become more secretive. They actually have to put more effort into hiding because... You know, the spinster women who live together suddenly become suspicious, you know, or the, the, the two men of a certain age sharing becomes suspicious. And so it's interesting that you, you think you should be able to find more stories, and yet you kind of reach this gap. And that's not until sort of the 80s again in which these groups pop up. So we, we've also started a, um, an oral history project, uh, which was part of Victoria's Pride this year. And that's interesting. So we've got some interesting stories from the 70s. And you know, um, and you know, a surprisingly happening kind of scene in Bendigo, but all private parties and private dinner parties and private groups who then kept splitting off to form other private groups, which is the you know ultimate queer experience. And we're still trying to find anything sort of before the seventies. Like it could be we've we've lost our opportunity to meet those people now. Like you know that that moment may have gone. But it's really interesting trying to find those stories is weirdly hard. Like we have more stories from the 1890s than we do from the 1960s. Wow, you mentioned the 1970s, which was kind of like, you know, a thriving kind of, you know, a dinner party scene in Bendigo. Tell us a bit more about the queer stuff you uncovered from the 70s. Yeah, well, my favourite thing is apparently progressive dinner parties were were very popular. uh, Are you aware of the progressive dinner party? No, tell us more. It was just this thing where I was really big with my parents' generation. So you would um you would move from house to house. So, you know, the first house you'd have your entree and you know, the next house you'd have another course and the third house you'd have a course. So a bit like a pub crawl, but you know, for one meal across an entire suburb. And apparently that was a, a very big thing for, for that sort of, you know, queer group at the time. Because obviously everything had to be a bit quiet and a bit on the down low. And I just Love the idea that they were all just basically into food. I think that's a really lovely <laughs> kind of. And um, Bendigo is now Australia's only UNESCO city of gastronomy. So yeah, we could claim it's a it's a tradition that we're upholding. Yeah, I walked up up View Street recently, just a few weeks ago, actually, and I was struck by all of the amazing cafes and and bars, cafes and restaurants. I mean, and it is partly, I think, the uh, the art gallery. Like, I, I think. For a lot of people, Bendigo, the only time they go to Bendigo would be for a blockbuster exhibition at the Bendigo Art Gallery, like the Marilyn Monroe or the Edith Head or Mary Quant. Um, all of it, you know, very camp. So it's that lovely thing of that has sort of moved the town. So a lot of people I think have a very negative memory of Bendigo, including a lot of people who grew up in Bendigo, especially queer people in the 80s. And, um, and it's really nice to think that we're part of the celebration of it changing. Like, it's become much more a city of the arts, uh, mostly driven by, I think, the Bendigo Art Gallery and, you know, the various theatres and, and things here. And um, it's just been really nice to be part of that as well, to push the kind of art side of it. Uh, and it's hilarious. A lot of our events end up being drag queens and blues musicians because that seems to be the two flavours of gay we do here. <laughs> it's drag queen and blues musician. 
Uh, we have some excellent blues musicians. So it's um, it's just been really great to lean into the the artiness of this and go, yeah, let's celebrate that. John, I'm fascinated by Bendigo's World War II queer history because, of course, there was a big army base hospital that became what well, was the Bendigo Base Hospital. You had a lot of US service people in Bendigo. Um, tell us what you've unearthed about Bendigo's queer history during World War II. So weird enough, I actually don't know anything from there. I, I can tell you more about New Mia in, in World War II and New Caledonia. We do have the Serving and Silence ex- exhibition coming up, though, which was curated you know, by, by the Australian Queer Archive, uh, which I have not had a chance to see yet, and I'm very excited to see. It's in our Benigo Military Museum, which was a thing I was very big on. I only wanted to put it on if we could get it in the Military Museum because that was the one place it should be. And... I, if they said no, I was going to you know, try and play the homophobia card, but they were actually really excited to have it too. So it's really exciting, that exhibition, but I have not seen it yet and can tell you nothing of World War II. John, I was just looking at the program before and I love Release Your Inner Drag Queen. Tell us about that at the Bendigo Pride Festival. Oh, sorry, which one was that, James? You just, yeah, uh, Release Your Inner Drag Queen. Oh, um, do you know what? There are so many events that now you're asking me about ones. I'm not even sure which one that is. That's 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 how big this festival's become. Uh, is that the Pinot and Picasso one? I'm not I sure, think. but it looks great. But you've got drag bingo as well, which looks amazing. Yeah. And of course, you've got a dog show. I thought that was really cute because that's yeah. so popular here in Melbourne for midsummer. Well, that's the thing. And obviously, we're picking and choosing you know, the best bits of everyone else, which is always great to go and say, yeah, the dog show is great. So, um, and everyone loves a dog show. And uh, every year, we, we now also do one of the categories that ties in with whatever the Bendigo Art Gallery is putting on. So, last year, it was the You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog category for most Elvis dog. And this year, it's Rad Dog for the most Australiana dog to fit with their Australiana display. So... Yeah, and there's obviously best, most butch, most camp. Yeah, all your usual categories. Uh, but So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's fun. There's a lot of youth stuff. But try and, you know, cover uh, some things for everybody. And, you know, hopefully something that people will absolutely love and might go, oh, I wouldn't have got this elsewhere. So, you know, obviously the trans and gender clothing swap is on. We're having an um, ecumenical church service, which is really exciting to have that, actually, as part of Pride. There's just all these sort of interesting, you know, new things, and, and every year we hopefully try out something to see if it's going to work. And I love that you've got a photo exhibition of LGBTIQ asylum seekers. I think that's really important. Oh, yeah, that is that is fantastic. And also um, Feast, which is going to be a, a sort of discussion panel as well as another event. So, yeah, yeah and last year we ran a, a, um, a racism project about racism in the queer community funded by the Department of Dennis Families and Health. And... So it's also that thing, too, about trying to just feel a bit more connected to a broader world. Absolutely. You've got the friend of our show, Dita Curry, who was on last week doing his great show to serve with Glove. Dina Curie's a, fan of, a friend of everyone, so it doesn't really count. You know, it's, it's like a dog. They just love anybody. Um, Dina Curie is, I, I hear this is his, what, the busiest homosexual in Australia. I think he must be the most exhausted. He's been everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I think that's so pop, true. Pop, pop, Polly Feller is one of our locals now as well. She's also been everywhere. Um, she will hopefully sleep at some point soon. Um, it's interesting with Dean too. We've got Dean. We've got Scratch Arts doing Moist and Soggy. We've got uh, Brendan McLean. We actually have an awful lot of the Sydney World Pride events on just a lot cheaper. So that's quite nice too. That's a coup. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you mentioned Brendan McLean. That's fabulous. He's coming to town. 
Oh, I'm so excited. That is actually tomorrow night. He was arriving tonight. Um, we keep trying to take advantage of the fact that uh, Qantas actually now flies direct from Sydney to Bendigo, and every time we try to do that, it goes horribly wrong. So he's been uh, redirected to Melbourne and will be arriving on a bus at some point quite soon. And then tomorrow night, he will be doing his Alone at Last show, apparently for the final time, pretty much. He's, he's planning on doing a brand new show after this, and this will be probably the last hurrah. I've got to say, if if you're, you know, making a recommendation about anything at the fabulous Bendigo Pride Festival to our listeners, what would it be? Well, for me, it's probably Brandon Mufane, you know, because I am really excited to see him. I've never seen him perform live. I love his music. The other thing, look, there's so much good stuff that I would really recommend. There's a one-off show. I think it's like a matinee on the last Sunday. Um, it's a performance of Double Takes, which was originally a BBC radio show, of this comedy drama in uh, which each episode was just two people. And we're doing two episodes, and uh, it's called The Rebel Alliance, and it takes place at a lesbian wedding, and it's just the most beautifully written piece. Uh, great performers. And then we've teamed up with another episode uh, that in the original um, was a heterosexual relationship, and we flipped one of the genders, so now it's a, a gay boy relationship. And the two of them, I think, it's going to be such a gorgeous little experience. They're going to perform it entirely just vocally. It's, it's you know, so replicating a kind of radio ideal. Uh, and the Rebel Lines in particular is about these two women at the back table of a lesbian wedding. One is the ex of one of the girls, so she knows why she's at that table. But it turns out the other one is the mother of one of the brides. And the question is like, well, why would the mother of one of the brides be at the back table at a wedding? And all this stuff comes out about relationships and and history and touches on homophobia and it's and it's also I mean it's just charming and witty and and really poignant. John Richards, the director of the Bendigo Pride Festival. It runs until April second. Thank you so much for joining us today on three C R and good luck with the opening event tonight. Thank you so much. John Richards there, director of the Bendigo Pride Festival. You are an in your face on three C R.
Detroit Diamonds there. Up real soon, Georgia Yovanovic from Trans Sisters United. But in the meantime, here's Marsha Hines. Troubles in my life, no foolish dreams to make me 
You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR.
And you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am absolutely delighted to have Georgia Yovanovic from uh, Trans Sisters United to talk about the legacy of trans resilience. Uh, it's an event happening at Docklands tomorrow. Tell us all about it, Georgie, and welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Well, we're rallying for our trans rights at the moment and it just seems to all have gone to chaotic uh, means between uh, the media exposing trans women as uh, pedophiles, offensive. We've had a a sportsman talk about uh, a trans woman uh, applying for the basketball team and whoever he is, you know, he stated on the the news yesterday that – uh, a trans woman in a woman's basketball team puts women at risk. It's scary stuff, isn't it? And, yes. Um, we've yes. got we've got trans people and queer people uniting tomorrow yes. uh, at eleven o'clock outside Parliament to rally against this because it's stuff that's just wrong and it needs oh. to be it needs to be stood up against. Totally, totally. And in I'm a sixty year old queen, so I have generation um, generations of uh, prejudice, abuse, and it all comes from misogyny, whether it's from the government and the laws they put into place that are are never uh, implied, uh, whether it's our medical system, discrimination there, it is, again, systemic across the board, and it just feeds the social monster against our community for hate crimes. So I was in town the other day and because I'm a non-binary trans femme, I cop a lot of uh, abuse, public abuse as well. So the other day I was spat at and then this guy pretended to shoot me in the head and I was just out with a girlfriend having coffee. So that's one of my sort of regular sort of days out. So, I mean, it's across the board. We have uh, issues around our trans women of colour as well that are just dying all over the place, especially globally, America. I mean, here as well. So it's across the board. Um, And, of course, we've got the TERFs and the Smurfs and everyone's, you know, got their hearsay. Oh, and there's this wonderful woman from the UK in town, which, of course, we'll be speaking tomorrow, Uh, and she's an activist. She calls herself an activist. Kelly J. Kane, Akaposi Parker. So she's got her crew here in town from the UK as well. And plus, we're getting pushback from the Christian lobby, um, you know, uh, white supremacist, the whole, again, misogynistic approach. I just actually just finished an interview on misogyny. <laughs> Come Funny about that and then coming here. So I'm quite emotional and wired about these issues because in my lifetime, I thought we would have progressed to a civil place by now but things are worse now at my age at 60 than they were when I was in my 20s and 30s so that 
I don't understand. And I've been advocating for years, helping to change laws, clause. I mean, trans women in incarceration, uh, thrown in men's prisons as well, with intent. Like there are laws, um, the government and the system, they have laws in place to protect us, but it doesn't stop the uh, misogyny and the violence of predominantly men. Uh, and it's across the board, but um, systemically, we're put into such vulnerable situations and predicaments that we have no way out. And so, and the Labor government threw up, I think it was Daniel Andrews saying, how inclusive we are for trans women and they're part of our community and da-da-da and we're, gonna, and we're changing laws. And But it hasn't stopped anything. It hasn't changed anything. And it's like the same with the prison system. The same with the medical system. So everywhere I look, uh, and personally, because I, like I said, I'm a trans non-binary femme, I cop it most times, and I know a, a, a lot of trans women that do. doesn't matter from what demographic, uh, de demographic they come from. Um, so... Resilience is is the theme, isn't it? I mean, how do you develop that resilience? And I mean, how many pressures you just mentioned that, that are placed on that resilience and how it is getting worse, presumably because trans rights legally are improving and so there's this pushback yes. that's happening at a time when the far right's rising. Exactly, and that's why. And so the more we push back and feel that we're moving forward and getting ahead, then we have the, the far right, the TERFs and the Smurfs and all these crazy independent activists who, are, who have their lobbies and their groups as well pushing back. And again, the religious groups and whoever else is um, pushing ag against our community. And that's across the board. Like I said, it's not just trans misogyny. It's through the whole LGBTI Q plus community, but at the moment, because of what's being thrown thrown out through the uh, the media, we are being targeted. Another show, um, Drew Barrymore, has her show. She had a trans woman on the other day. I didn't. All I saw was that uh, uh, Drew Barrymore was getting pushback, hate. Uh, text mail whatever she was getting for supporting a trans woman and so even our allies are getting pushed back as well publicly and through the media so and that is huge because then that ripples into society into families and it's these conditional realities are passed on from person to person that we're like I said that we are violent or that we are pedophiles, toilets. We still can't use uh, toilets unless you appear female or male. I've been accosted in the toilets as well. So sometimes I might appear, because I'm non-binary, and depending on what mood I'm in, I might appear ultra-feminine 
and I'll feel comfortable enough to go into the women's toilets. Other times, like today, being a cash house queen, just in a t-shirt and stuff, I was in the city today and I was on edge and I went into the male toilet. And so the fear of my safety in public has risen and escalated my mental health illness. And this is, I'm, when I'm talking about me, I'm talking about all of us because we're all feeling it. I've had friends suicide because they're non-passing, um, drug abuse, self-harm. It's And so mental health issues are at their peak here in Australia across the board. The federal election campaign really fueled it. We were all kind of, you know, took a breath and thought, oh, God, I hope it's going to get better after Morrison was turfed out. Sounds like it's got worse. It is worse. It is. And we all thought the same thing. We all really did. We thought, oh, finally, okay, Labor's in, we've got support, da da da. And then a friend um, sent me uh, a little clip of Dan the Man, and he was all, yay, in Parliament going, yay, the trans community, we support and support. Support what? A few tokenistic words don't support anybody for any issue whatsoever. Who protects us? when we're out on the street, when we go to socialise. So again, once again, that conditional reality of, I, I call them hate crimes, like whether it's verbal, physical, sexual, doesn't matter what it is, it's abuse. And so for us to fear of our safety, I mean, what is that? Social media seems to be making it worse. It seems to be a tool that the far right's, you know, harnessing. So it only can take a few people to cause so much damage. And that then, of course, often feeds media news cycles. Yes, it does. And it, and it is. And it's, uh, pardon me, it's global. So, and again, there was something else on Sky News. And they just love to trash out uh, us girls and boys, you know, our community as well. So it's coming from all directions and I'm a member of the Zoe Bell Gender Collective as an advocate and this is what I do for my work as a trans, intersex, non-binary advocate. And so we're constantly, my co-worker uh, got a, a hate call the other day, the same day I saw the media on this guy about the basketball team that a trans woman will have, um, excuse me, I'm losing, I'm getting all emotional, will offend, uh, abuse women in the basketball team. Where is the logic? That's the thing. With these people, they actually are either insane or very, very unhappy people in their own lives to be wanting to condemn somebody else just for being themselves. So... That's what I personally put it down to, and I'm like, which again perpetuates hate and it's passed on from generation to generation and that's why I say through the generations from my childhood until now, it's more extreme than it's, it's ever before and I've lived through HIV and all those other community um 
Sorry, um, tragedies. 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 It's like <laughs> we've been rape, plundered and pillaged forever. And again, just when we think we're just getting a step ahead and moving through and finding a place of comfort in society that uh, we're accepted or will be accepted without any fault of our own. And then we find again, like you said, through media, lobby, turfs, whoever, Christian, biblical, you know, Noah's coming down from the, the mountain with his commandments. So, and again, religiously, we're a, an abomination. You are from Trans Sisters United. It's an amazing activist group that organised uh, Australia's first Trans Pride March in November last year. Tell us about Trans Sisters United and then kind of segue into your fabulous event, The Legacy of Trans Resilience. But yeah, Trans Sisters United, what a group. What? Yeah, it is an amazing group. I'm uh, an independent advocate with Trans Sisters United. I actually work for the Zoe Bell Gender Collective, uh, Sasha Sedek that I know that invited me to speak today with you. I'm queering the air. Fabulous show here on 3CR Sundays, 3 o'clock. Totally. Wonderful woman. Um, She's one of the co-founders of uh, the Trans Sisters United. So, I mean, I've been part of their, uh, some of their events and talks and, and I've just been titled a trans elder as well, turning 60, which was a bit shocking at first, but it's beautiful. And they put on, uh, Sasha put on an elders event for the first time. So that's a historical moment again. So within our own community and our own groups, we are moving and pushing through. We are tough. We are resilient, and it's like never say never knock me down, and I'll be back up again. I'm one of the, the few from my generation that are actually still alive, coming f- again from HIV, sex work, uh, drug abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, rape, and it's like a lot of us from my generation. I mean, we all are because we're all feeling it. The resilience that we have, because and the reason why we do have such resilience is because we struggle most days to have to get by and live with ourselves, knowing our external community doesn't accept us for their own personal reasons and bigotry and discrimination. You mentioned that 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 trans elders event. Of course, the legacy of trans resilience is a is a screening from that event. Uh, it features yourself and some other amazing trans women like Mama Latoya Hoyeg, yes. uh, Christina Du Sacramento, and the fabulous Lily Chang, who I love totally. Love them all. Love, love them, them all. all. Sisters, sisters from the old school. You know, we're street queens. So, um, and again, that's. Why to, with uh, Trans Sisters United as well. Um, again, I've just been working with them for about a year now, and they've been so supportive. Um, and all the founders as well. Everyone's amazing on the team, and to be able to keep on pushing through, to 
having events, supporting our community, acknowledging our elders from the past, our kids in the future, you know. And again, trans kids have it so hard than they have ever before. I mean, we all have, but with the, the work that we do, we're seeing, again, medically, you know, being uh, the younger crew trying to transition, acceptance from family, from friends. Um, and again, when the, the medical system and the political system don't support us openly, then that just makes it harder for our younger kids to uh, come out and transition. So they are so vulnerable, especially now. And so, again, these influences that are happening through the media just heighten and accelerate the violence against trans women. It sounds like there's an incredible camaraderie between uh, the folks involved in Trans Sisters Unite and the word resilience. I mean, after all of the things that you've just mentioned, that's the word that really stands out and the legacy of that. Yes, definitely. And that's, again, being part of this trans elder thing. <laughs> Was that a shock when they said, oh, you're a trans elder? Oh, yeah, totally, because I just turned 60 and I'm like... Uh, I've only been 60 once. So <laughs> I'm like, and and I, I embrace it. I embrace my whole life, the good, bad and the ugly, because I've learnt. And the struggles and the pain that I've gone through have only reinforced and empowered me. I turn pain into positive. I push through. And that's what our community does. We support each other and we just keep on pushing through. So... And again, if we don't support each other, who else will? Especially while these antics are going on with uh, the media, especially. But again, even government doesn't. Uh, and to the incarceration thing really bothers me as well because we had a few incidences late last year of trans women being incarcerated for petty crime and were taken by security guards, whoever they are, back to men's prisons and they were uh, assaulted and harassed and abused and that was intentional. So for me, it is all intentional and it's nothing to do with conspiracy theories and all that little fancy flat earth stuff at all, right? It's I know lived it, experience. It's lived, thank you, it's lived experience. I know what's real and I'm a very open, honest person. So... You know, and you try to shut me down and I'll just come out the other end screaming like a bitch. So it's like there is no way. And this is what we need to to do amongst our community is to, to have open, honest conversations about what's really going on and stop fluffing things over and whatever else. We also have some of our own into uh, organized queer organizations that aren't as supportive as they could be as well they could be stepping up because people forget as an advocate you know what goes on internally right and i've been shut down so many times don't rock the boat queen don't rock the boat well this queen here is to rock the boat so whatever you want to know honestly i'll tell you and um, so, yeah, I'm just very 
frustrated. And I feel very vulnerable at the moment. And this last week has been probably one of the hardest weeks. I've been waiting to get into a counselling service for over a year. Um, and still, and I understand, you know, our queer services, the backlog, underfunded, understaffed, you know, COVID and all this other stuff. But where is the government supporting us? Instead of giving us funding, there's cutbacks. There's more cutbacks now than ever before. And it's like, so with the Zoe Bell Gender Collective that I'm with, we're probably the least funded organisation in Victoria and my co-workers produce the highest quality of work in the state and so do the uh, Trans Sisters United as well. They're always looking for funding to put on events. They're always powering away uh, to, su to support our trans community, um, especially women of colour. Um, the LGBTI community as well, of course. We're all included. We're all family. So um, when I specifically talk about uh, trans women, I'm not uh, uh, discluding anyone else, but the issues at hand at the moment that we are feeling are detrimental to our health and our safety. So I have to think and prepare myself to walk out the door most days to what could happen to me. Because generally, they're, you know, maybe on a weekly, fortnightly basis, there's an altercation for myself personally. I admire your strength. I admire your candor and honesty. And I think it's going to be a truly amazing event tomorrow night. The Legacy of Trans Resilience, presented by Trans Sisters United. Uh, it's a happening thing at Library at the Dock, 107 Victoria Harbour Promenade, 4 to 6 p.m. tomorrow, the, the 18th of March. That's it. Uh, Georgie Yovanovic from Trans Sisters United and the Zoe Bell Gender Centre. It has been a delight to chat with you at 3CR. Thank you so much for coming into the studio. Thank you so much. The US and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.